You know, we are going to talk today a little bit about the issue of identity. The title of the message is, Who Are You? And as we read the scripture, you will understand where that word comes from. Who are you? Uh, but that is a question of identity, isn't it? Identity is a big issue. It's a big issue in psychology. We talk about developing identity in children and adolescents. We talk about identity crisis. Uh, when I say the name to you, uh, Tom Brady, what do you think of? <laughs> I wasn't expecting to get that response. That's probably true. Uh, you think, hey, a future Hall of Fame NFL quarterback. When I mention the name uh, Tchaikovsky, what do you think of? You think, oh, a remarkable composer. I mention Angela Merkel. You think, oh, the head of state of the, of the German uh, Republic. Or some of you will remember Catherine Coleman. I mentioned Catherine Coleman. You'll say, oh, a marvelous healing evangelist. Or you could go on and on and on, and you automatically assign to those people what they do. And you know what? There's truth in that. You often hear, oh, we're not what we do, we're what we are, but what we are often becomes what we do. And they are intertwined very much. And so it's really hard to understand who Tom Brady or Catherine Coleman or Fyodor Tchaikovsky are without understanding what they've done. Nevertheless, are they really defined by what they do? Or are they defined by something much deeper? So I want to explore this a little bit this morning because we're going to look at this question of identity. Who are you is the question the Pharisees asked John when they went to him. They said, who are you? And his response will be very instructive. And we have to ask ourselves that question. Who am I? Who am I? Who are you? Yes, there are elements of what you do that define who you are, but it's much, much deeper. And my message today really is quite simple. You cannot really and truly understand who you are until you understand who Jesus is. It's encountering and understanding who Jesus Christ is that we really become who God intended us to be, that we really are giving an understanding of our nature, our purpose, our calling. You know, we used to joke about this uh, in years past. Uh, we always used to talk about, well, you know, I got to find myself. And of course, there's the joke about the young fellow that went to Europe to find himself. He found out he wasn't there. But, uh, but we do need to find out who we are in God and who God has called us to be. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about this issue of identity, and we'll see it expressed here in the passage that we're going to read, beginning in John chapter 1, 18. Now we're, we're starting, uh, 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 19 rather, we starting uh, two weeks ago, we started talking about on uh, Christmas Eve day, we started from John chapter 1, the prologue about the Word who created all things and the Word who became flesh. John read from that a little bit. And uh, we understood that the Creator became incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. And now we pick it up at verse 19. This is the testimony of John. We're talking about John the Baptist, not John who wrote the Gospel. 
the greatest of the Old Testament prophets leading into the New Testament time, really the bridge into New Testament time. Well, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him, why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. And it remained on him. This is what happened at Jesus' baptized when he was baptized, recorded in the other Gospels. The Spirit descended upon him, and actually a voice came from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the next day, John testifies to what he had seen. And he testifies to who Jesus is. Is. He is identifying Jesus. So the question becomes in this passage, not John, who are you, but Jesus, who are you? Or John, who is Jesus? That becomes the question. And that's the ultimate question that we have to answer when we're talking about issues of identity. John says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So we've seen two things about Jesus. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And when I issue a call later uh, this morning in just a little bit, we're going to respond to encounter Jesus who is the Lamb of God, Jesus who is the one who fills us with his Spirit. I have seen... And bore witness, says John, that this is the Son of God. Okay, we'll go backwards there. Well, the Pharisees come and they say to John, who are you? This passage addresses the issues of identity. Actually, there are three identity issues or identity questions here. The first question is, who is Jesus? That is answered somewhat in the previous passage in the prologue we looked at two weeks ago. 
We are told that Jesus is the Word made flesh, the creator of all things incarnate, become a human being. He is fully God and fully man. We have to understand that. Who we, what we think of Jesus and how we understand them is, him is critically important to understanding who we are, understanding who God is. We are told that he is the logos, the word made flesh. The Greek word is logos. It means speech, word, communication, reason, account, explanation, intelligence. In other words, all of God's omnipotence and his power and his ability and desire to communicate is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. He speaks to us many ways, but he especially speaks to us through his son. This is the most powerful, direct, specific way that God speaks to us is through his son, Jesus Christ. And in order to understand God, we must understand who is Jesus and understand ourselves. We must understand who is Jesus. So that question is is addressed in these passages, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But the next question is, Who is John? First question is, who is Jesus? Second question is, who is John? That's the question that brings this whole identity issue up. Who are you anyway? You're out here baptizing people. There are big crowds coming out. Some kind of revival happens. This is a big deal. Who are you? Are you the Messiah? John is great. You know why? Because he understands not only who he is, he understands who he is not. And that's really important. That is really important. Are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? Now, this is a controversial question, and I'll tell you why in a moment. There was an expectation among the Jews that Elijah, the prophet of the Old Testament, would be raised from the dead and would walk the earth and have a ministry. And last time it was based on the prophecy of Malachi that Elijah would come. And so they were looking for the physical, actual Elijah raised from the dead. And so when they came to John and said, hey, are you Elijah? He said, no. But the work that he was doing, the influence that he had was so impressive, they said, this might be the fulfillment of the prophecy. I mean, everybody is getting, uh, getting, coming to get baptized. So many people are being moved by what's happening here. He says, no, I'm not Elijah. I'm not Elijah raised from the dead. But actually, the scripture tells us, and it was prophesied at his birth to, by his father, Zechariah, that he would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And so in actuality, he's fulfilling the prophecy that one like Elijah would come. And yet, he doesn't lay claim to this role. He says, no, I, I'm not Elijah. I'm not Elijah raised from that. I'm not the Elijah that you're expecting. They said, well, are you that prophet? And he said, no. Now, that's a very specific reference to an Old Testament passage where Moses said, I am going to raise up a prophet like myself for you. That's what Moses said. And so the Israelites were always looking for a prophetic figure who would lead them to a deeper understanding of who God was and what God expected of them. And actually, many Bible scholars believe that from generation to generation, God was raising up prophets, whether it was Samuel, whether it was Elijah, whether it was Elisha, whether it was Isaiah. 
God is raising up prophets throughout the Old Testament period to declare to the people his mind, his will, and his desires. But he said, are you that prophet? Because in the Jewish mind, there was a specific last days prophet who would come, who would have messianic power, and who would somehow, in a very unique and special way, fulfill this prophecy that was made way back in Deuteronomy by Moses. And he said, no, no, no. No, what you're thinking about, that's not who I am. Not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah, and I'm not that prophet. And they said, well, who are you? You know what I like about John? He knew who he was. He really did. And he didn't try to be somebody he was not. He was comfortable being who he was. He said, you know, I am someone who has come in fulfillment of prophecy. I am doing the work of the Lord. I do have a significant role in God's economy. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the paths of the Lord. I am the forerunner of the one who is to come. And I'll tell you what, I'm not even worthy to tie, to latch his sandals. Don't look at me, friends. Look at him. It's not about me. It's not about my ministry. It's not about what I'm doing. It is about the one who is coming. It is about the real Messiah. It's about the Lamb of God who's coming to take away the sins of the world. It is about the one who will baptize us in the Holy Spirit. It's about the Word made flesh who reveals to us our own identity by revealing to us His identity. And when we understand who He is, we will understand who we are and who we're called to be. Now, the, uh, the Gospel of John makes a significant statement about the prophet John very early in the prologue, right after it talks about God who created the world, all things, through whom all things were made. It talks about John. He says, you know what? There was a man sent from God named John. He was not the light, but he bore witness to the light. He was a witness. He was a voice point people to the light. You know what? Every single person in this room can share in that ministry of John the Baptist to point people to the light. We are not the Messiah. Thank God. I can't think of a person in this room, including myself, that I would want as my Savior. But we are called to bear witness to the light as John is called to bear witness to the light. He understands that his identity is as a child of God, a creation of God, but also that he is an instrument of God. So he is who he is. It's a matter of who he is. It's a matter of his being, not what he does, but what he does plays into who he is. He is God's child, God's chosen, and he is an instrument. So I don't think we need to separate our identity from what we do. We just need to understand the issue is who we are 
determines what we become, or our understanding of who we are determines what we become. Understanding of who we are determines, in many cases, what we will do. But it is not what we do, really, at heart. It is what we are, and I'll return to this in a moment. John has perspective. You know, it is very easy for us to have our ministry to be the source of our identity. And I think that's a bridge too far. It's a big mistake. Because when the ministry is the source of our identity rather than our relationship with Christ, rather than the fact that we've been created in his image and we've repented and become his child, then the ministry that we have quickly becomes a form of idolatry. And that is a huge problem. We see it all the time. We've seen it through church history. We see it through modern history in every form and fashion, both secular and spiritual. We cannot become enamored with ourselves or our work or our ministries. We must be enamored with him. And that is the example that John has set for us. John not only has perspective, I'm not the Messiah, not Elijah, not the prophet, I'm a voice, I'm a witness. He not only has perspective, but he has security. Don't you like to be around people who are secure if you can find one? Have a sense of comfort with who they are. It's a rare human thing because we all do struggle with our identity. We struggle with who we are. We struggle with how people think about us, how they look upon us, how they respond to us, how they accept us or reject us. It governs so much of what happens up here. Am I right about that? John seems to be in a position where he has security. And it is not his service for God that is driving him. Not the service for God that is driving him. It is God that is driving his service. Do you understand? It's the cart and the horse. And we see this in John 1, 35. In John 1, 35, the next day, it's a repeat. We haven't read that far. Two of his disciples are there. And John says, behold the Lamb of God. And he's pointing his disciples to Jesus. And then, if we look in chapter 3, if we would pull that up, his whole ministry is transformed. They came to John and said to him, this is in chapter 3, a couple uh, chapters later, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing, and all are going to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness. I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John has perspective. John has security. 
He understands, I fulfilled my role. Here, here's the Messiah, follow him. You know what, that's hard to do. When you're in a position or in a role where you have influence and you have to give it away, you give it away, right? Here. I really want you to, no, well, I'm not so sure. Right? No, I guess I'm not. No one agrees with me. I think John's an amazing person. He understands who he is. The Pharisees don't know who he is. People around him may not know who he is. But he knows who he is. He is secure in who he is because he knows who he is. And when you and I know who he is, we will know who we are called to be. Without that, we live in a state of constant doubt and insecurity and fear and paranoia. And let me just say, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. All right? But seriously, I think this is an amazing prophet here understands clearly his role in his message. And you and I, that's our role. We're to point people to Christ. We're to point people to him to understand that he is the Savior. He may use us. He may use us in very meaningful ways. He will use us in very meaningful ways. And it will become fulfilling as God uses us in people's lives. As you use your gifts, it will, it will be fulfilling. It will be life-giving. But don't cross that uncrossable bridge that confuses who he is with who I am. Who he is with who we are. Because then we start short-circuiting things. Because we can't accomplish what only Jesus can accomplish. And we have to let his disciples be where they need to be. Now, that does not mean that protection is wrong. Protection is not possessiveness. Protection is watching over the flock of God. Paul said to the elders, take heed to yourselves and over all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, which Christ has purchased with his own blood. We are to guard what has been committed to us, but we do not possess it. I hope you can understand the distinction because it's not always made well. So we have the question, who is Jesus? Who is John? We've looked at that. He must increase. We must decrease. You know what I like about John? He's not a person who cannot follow. He is a person who knows how to follow. I have a simple rule, and I've had it for many, many, many years. A person who cannot follow should never lead. Arthur Burt put it this way. If you're too big to follow, you're too little to lead. And I think Jesus, all of his teaching is about this. Humble yourself, you will be exalted. Exalt yourself, you'll be humble. You want to be great in the kingdom? Become a servant. I've never seen anybody who had a servant's heart that didn't get used to the point of exhaustion. 
Lay down your life and you'll get it back again. Who are you? You cannot answer that question until you answer the question, who is Jesus? And John told us who Jesus is. He's the one who has come into the world to interface with you and I. Elsewhere in scripture, we looked at this a few weeks ago when we looked at three trees. We are made in the image of God. Human beings are amazing. Human beings are amazing creatures. They're made in the image of God. They are precious to God. But we are also capable of unbelievable evil. We are people in need of a savior. We are in need of one who will take away our sins. And when we understand who Jesus is, we understand who we are. So when Jesus comes into the lives of a couple of his disciples, he, there are four disciples mentioned at the end of the passage that I asked you to read. He immediately starts to identify things about them. He says uh, to, in the next passage, uh, 142 and then 147, uh, he brought him to Jesus. He brought Peter to Jesus. Andrew did. And Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You know who you are, Simon? I'm going to define you. You're Cephas. Peter, you're a rock. He defines us. He speaks into our life. And he even speaks life-changing things into our life. He identifies them. Then in another case, in verse 47, if we go there, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him. And he said, hey, I know you. I see you. You're an Israelite indeed in whom there's no deceit. And How do you know me? Jesus knows us inside out. And more than that, he can transform us by his mighty power. Because we are told he is the one who makes all things new. Look, becoming a Christian and embracing the cross is not self-loathing. It is being given a new identity. God redeems who we are. We repent of our sin and we embrace the gift of life and who you uniquely are is redeemed by Christ. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, tells us this. We are warned that it may happen to any one of us to appear at last before the face of God and to hear only the appalling words, I never knew you, depart from me. In some sense, as dark to the intellect as it is unendurable to the feelings, we can be both banished from the presence of him who is everywhere and erased from the memory of him who knows all. We can be left utterly and absolutely outside, repelled, exiled, estranged, finally and unspeakably ignored. On the other hand, we can be called in welcomed, received, acknowledged. We walk every day on the razor edge between these two incredible possibilities. Apparently then, our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we feel cut off, that alienation that sin brings, 
to be on the inside of some door, which we have always seen from the outside as no mere neurotic fantasy, but the truest index of our real situation. And to be at last summoned inside would be both glory and honor beyond all our merits and also the healing of that old ache. We shall eat of the tree of life. That's what it means to understand who Jesus is. And then he gives us to understand who we are. And then he makes us a new creation. Totally on the inside. That's amazing thing. Totally in fellowship with God. And this is how it's put in the Gospel of John. He came, and this demonstrates what Lewis was saying. He came to his own, and his own didn't receive him. They didn't recognize him. But to as many as who received him, to them he gave power to become the children of God. So it is in receiving Jesus you, become, you are given the power to become a children of God. It is receiving him in his ministry that we are filled with his Holy Spirit. And that is a gift that I want us to embrace this morning. We are told that he is the creator become flesh, the lamb who takes away our sins and the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit brings to us is something in Greek called dunamis, which is the word dynamic, where we get the word dynamic. It is a dynamic power that comes into our lives that enables us to be like John, who was anointed a servant of the living God. We're much more than what we do. When we embrace Christ, we become a new creature. We have a new identity. A new name is given to us. We're a new creation. And we become worshipers and servants of God. So what we do grows out of what we are. To them, he gave power to become children of God. He's not simply just a teacher, just an example, just a great person or prophet. Jesus Christ is our Savior. He's our Creator. He's our Baptizer in the Spirit. He is the lover of your soul. Like, unlike anyone else here is possibly remotely capable of doing. He is our healer. He is our king. He is worthy of our full devotion. And I want to invite you this morning, and it is still morning, praise the Lord, to invite you this morning to come and to embrace that Savior, to embrace that baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And that could be a lot of people here. Mm -hmm.